It's funny, he, he called me a, a younger brother. I really see him as a father. I don't know if that's appropriate or not. Anyway, hey, it's good to be back at the City Church. How are you guys doing this morning? Not that good, I see. I'll give you another chance. How are you guys doing this morning? A little bit better. Awesome. Uh, it's so good to be back here, and uh, as Pastor Brett mentioned, I'm here with my wife, uh, Sarah, who uh, we've been married 10 years next month, and uh, thank you. The applause is for her for putting up with me for 10 years, and we've got a, a one-year-old son in, in City Kids, and we also have another baby on the way due in April, number two, so uh, we're grateful for that. Uh, I was going to say a bunch of nice things about Pastor Brent, but I think I'll just skip all that and, and get to the message. Uh, we're, we consider Pastor Brent and, and Nicole to be uh, important voices in our lives, so we're also glad to be here at the City Church, such a privilege. And every time uh, that I've been here before and then gone home, uh, I would rave to my wife about how awesome the City Church is and how she has to come check out uh, this church. And so she just had to come, and then also Pastor Brent threatened me that if I didn't bring her this time, he wouldn't invite me back again. So it had to be done. But uh, we're glad to be here. And I want to uh, thank uh, the people of the City Church, because last time I was here, uh, you guys gave towards our uh, Winnipeg church plant. And I just want to give you a brief update. Uh, We have a launch Sunday coming up in January. And since you guys gave to our uh, Winnipeg church plant, we had, a. I think when I was here, we barely had a team. Now we have a team of about 50 people. And our goal was to raise, yeah, we praise God for that. Our goal was to raise a team of 40, and we have about 50 already, and we still have one more recruiting event to go. So uh, I think we're going to end up having a team of 60 or more, which is really amazing. And we're very much looking forward to that launch. We've got a a venue in downtown Winnipeg, a beautiful church building, uh, lots of history, and we're looking forward to uh, really bringing greater life to Winnipeg. So uh, let me pray and get right into God's word this morning. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, we can sense your spirit already here today, even just through the worship. Lord, we can sense uh, the power of the Holy Spirit just moving into this place, ready to touch lives and transform us. Lord, we open up our minds uh, for you to change our belief systems to match them according to your word. Lord, we open up our hearts for you to uh, touch our emotions and our affections to line them up with the heart of Jesus. And we, uh, we also present our bodies to you as, as a living sacrifice. That what we hear today, we are going to be ready and willing to apply in obedience with our bodies. And Lord, for uh, any of us that are in the room today feeling physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally uh, drained, uh, your word says that the Holy Spirit is the one who quickens our mortal bodies. So we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to do that today. In the name of Jesus, the church said. Amen. Well, I'm grateful to be preaching in the Jesus, the Disciple Maker series, and my assignment today is to talk about prayer. And a few years ago, uh, I was given a chance to present for a few minutes at a conference, and I, I happened to be uh, presenting on prayer. And ever since that, that, that day, I've kind of been known as the prayer guy, which if you are like a guest speaker or a pastor, nobody wants to talk about prayer. They, they want to talk about something exciting, not prayer. So, uh, but ever since that moment, you know, whenever I'm invited to preach somewhere, they want me to talk about prayer. If I'm part of a conference, they want to give me the, the prayer piece of it. And I'm not offended by that at all. I love prayer. I'm passionate about prayer. But I feel kind of strange about it because I think that every Christian should be passionate about prayer. I think every believer should, be, should have a, a wonderful, vibrant prayer life. And, and if you don't have that today, I, I think this message is going to help you to do just that. <clears throat> 
and especially for Christians who want to move on from just being believers and you want to be a disciple, uh, prayer is, is critical. Prayer is essential. You want to be a, a man or a woman of prayer. If you want to live like Jesus, talk like Jesus, act like Jesus, if you want to be transformed by Jesus and, ha- and have Jesus transform other people through you, then you have to become a man or a woman of prayer. Prayer is indispensable to being a disciple of Jesus. And, and when we see in the Gospels, what we see in the Gospels is that though Jesus taught his disciples many things, the only thing that this, the disciples actually asked Jesus to teach them was how to pray. Now, that's kind of amazing if you think about it. They see Jesus casting out demons. They see Jesus healing the sick and raising the dead. And they don't ask to be taught how to do any of that. The only thing they actually ask Jesus to teach them, the only lesson that they initiate is a lesson on how to pray. In the book of Luke, chapter 11, verse 1, it says that it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also taught his disciples. And I'm not surprised at all that of all the things they could have asked Jesus to teach them, that they asked to be taught how to pray. Because they knew by experience that something happened to Jesus after he prayed. By watching Jesus, by being around Jesus, they knew that after Jesus went up to the mountain to pray, every time he came down from his time in prayer, there was something different about Jesus. In fact, at certain times, you can even see it in his physical body, that something happened to him in the place of prayer. And when he came down from, from his private prayer life, they could see in, in the way he talked, in the way he acted. And I, again, sometimes even in his physical body, that something had happened to him while he was praying. They could see that for Jesus, prayer was not a, a simply a ceremony or a, a, a religious ritual. That for Jesus, prayer was a life-giving, empowering thing. Something happened to him, something tangible, something palpable, something observable happened to Jesus when he prayed. In Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16, it says that after Jesus heals all these people, the, the, the news about him was spreading even farther. And that large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. So Jesus is having incredible success in his ministry. But verse 16 says, But Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray. That while Jesus was having incredible success, he's healing the sick, he's raising the dead, casting out demons, uh, blind eyes are being opened, uh, deaf ears are being opened, that, that his fame is increasing. What he would do is that he would slip away from all these crowds and what he would do instead, he would slip away to the wilderness and he would pray. That while other people were focused on his power and his popularity, Jesus was focused on his prayer life. And the disciples noticed that when he got away to pray, he came back different. Something happened in the place of prayer. He would come back with a different presence and a different power about him. On one of these occasions, uh, the disciples at this point had already been given the power to cast out demons and to, and to heal the sick. And so uh, on one of these occasions, they, they found themselves unable to deliver a little boy who was oppressed by, by, by a demon. This, this dad brought his, his child to the disciples and said, hey, you know, we know you guys cast out demons. We know you guys heal the sick. Here, save my little boy. Help my little boy. And, and this little boy was being oppressed by this demon. And this demon uh, would, uh, first of all, it made him deaf and it made him mute. He couldn't speak. And beyond that, this demon, it would, it would cause seizures. 
to happen in his body. And, and the goal of this malicious demon was to eventually kill this boy. So anytime the little boy was around a fire, uh, the demon would cause seizures to happen in his body with the hopes of casting him into the fire and killing him. And, and anytime this little boy was around water, uh, again, this demon would initiate a seizure to throw this boy into the water and to drown him. And so, so this father was desperate for anything that would help this boy. And as a father myself, I can tell you that I can understand this father's pain. And he's heard that these people who follow Jesus, they cast out demons, they heal the sick, they cleanse lepers, just like Jesus does. And so he brings this little boy to, to the disciples and says, hey, and he says, please help me help my little boy. And the disciples were trying everything they knew. They tried every trick in the book, but nothing was happening. And while they're trying to cast out this demon, a large crowd forms around them because who doesn't want to see a demon cast out? If I knew there was going to be an exorcism happening, man, I'd show up myself. And so the, this crowd shows up and they want to see what disciples are going to do. So, so that the pressure is mounting on the disciples to cast out this demon from this little boy and nothing is happening. And I, I can imagine for them that they're, they're kind of freaking out. And so the father's pleading, the boy is seizing and their power is failing. Now all of a sudden Jesus shows up. And not only does he show up, he shows up fresh off a powerful time of prayer in the presence of the father. Immediately, he gets into a confrontation with the demon, and the demon fights back. The demon throws the little boy into the ground. It causes the same old seizures to happen. But eventually, Jesus delivers the boy. And after the crowd leaves, of course, the disciples just have to know. How did Jesus cast out this demon that they themselves were powerless to cast out? In Mark 9, verse 28, Jesus explains to them what happened. It says that when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? In verse 29, Jesus said, this kind, everybody say this kind. See, not every problem is the same. There there are different kinds of problems. Some problems you can handle on your own. Some problems, uh, they can be dealt with, with with a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of adjustments in your life. But Jesus says, this kind cannot, cannot, This kind cannot come out by anything but, everybody say it with me, prayer. And what I want to say to you today is that there are challenges that will never be overcome by anything but prayer. And there are levels in God we will never experience by anything else except prayer. There are things that God has planned for you, but that will never happen by anything but prayer. There are aspects to your maturity, to your development as a mother, as a father, as a, as a married couple, as a leader in your career. There are things that God has pre-planned for you since the foundation of the world to happen, but you will never experience a single bit of it by anything but prayer. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, there are certain levels of discipleship. The fullness of your discipleship will never come to pass by anything except, help me church, but prayer. So for the believer who's ready to become a disciple, prayer is not optional, it's essential. Now, if you're a Christian, I probably don't have to convince you of the power of prayer. In fact, I think, or the priority of prayer, because I think that most Christians, we often already feel guilty that we don't pray enough. How many of you ever felt guilty that you don't pray enough? I got two hands raised up over here, somebody's being honest. I don't got to tell you that you need to pray, that that prayer should be a priority. If you're a believer, you probably know that already, But, but for many of us, the subject of prayer evokes more frustration than it does passion because we feel like we don't pray enough or we don't pray 
well enough. Now, how many of you would say that you struggle with being consistent when it comes to prayer? Raise your hand. Come on, help me out here in church. Okay, we've got a lot of hands. How many of you guys would say you struggle staying focused when you're trying to pray? How many of you guys struggle with that? You know, you're thinking about fried chicken as you're trying to pray. (laughs) Happens to everybody. I don't know why chicken is the thing. How many of you would say that you feel incompetent when it comes to prayer, that you don't know how to pray, you don't even sure if you're saying the right words, that, that it's actually getting somewhere? Okay, so many of us have those problems. See, I find that those three areas, consistency, uh, concentration, and competence, are our greatest challenges when it comes to prayer, and everybody struggles with that. And, and I could spend this message talking to you about, about how to fix that, about different techniques for how to become more competent or, or capable or consistent in prayer. But, but instead of doing that, I want to give you reasons why you should pray. Because there, there is no handbook, no manual on prayer that, that, that if you do all these things right, then, you, then your, your prayer life is going to be perfect. It doesn't work like that. Prayer is something that you're going to develop in for the rest of your life. And what we need is reasons, motivations, uh, a purpose on why we should pray. Because I, I believe that if you know why you should pray, then, then your prayer life is going to become consistent. If your prayer life has a cause, then you're going to find the concentration. Listen, we, you know, even if we struggle in, in, in staying concentrated in prayer, we all concentrate on what we think matters to us. And so if you can find a purpose for prayer, your, your concentration is going to follow and, and your competence is going to increase as well. And the number one reason why you should pray as a disciple is that prayer is the practice that brings supernatural power into our practical lives. Let me say that one more time. Prayer is the practice that brings supernatural power into our practical lives. The purpose of prayer isn't to say that you prayed. The purpose of prayer is that supernatural power would come into your practical decision making, into your practical problems. So if you're wondering, why should I pray? God gave us prayer for us to find a way to get his supernatural power into our practical lives. That's why we pray. And discipleship is supernatural. It's not just instructional. It's supernatural. And so without prayer, without a disciplined habit of stepping out of our everyday lives filled with practical problems and mundane decisions, without a habit of getting into the supernatural presence of God, then our discipleship journey becomes about following religious routines and checking off biblical boxes. But the disciples didn't ask Jesus to teach them how to pray because they were seeking religious routines. They asked Jesus to teach them how to pray because they wanted supernatural power. It wasn't just about the fact that Jesus was a man of prayer. They didn't want the prayer. They wanted the results of the prayer. And so, so many of us, listen, it is, there's nothing wrong with you saying, I don't really you know, love the discipline of prayer. No, I, you don't have to love that. But what you do have to love is what happens when you pray. What you do have to have is a passion for the power of God. And then you have to understand that the only way you're going to get it is by becoming a man of prayer or a woman of prayer. The disciples saw that the Spirit of God did something to Jesus, imparted something to Jesus that was tangible to people long after the time of prayer had ended. And so they asked teachers to pray. And and I'm so glad that Jesus didn't say, listen, this power is reserved for the Son of God. I'm so glad that Jesus didn't say, listen, prayer is beyond you. It's just for mature Christians. Don't even try. No, I'm so glad instead of saying that, Jesus said, let me teach you how to pray. And then he taught them how to pray. Because Jesus, the disciple maker, wants every one of his disciples to walk in the same power of the Spirit that he walked in. You all got to say amen to that. Listen, everything you read in the Bible that Jesus walked in, he wants you to walk in that. The whole Gospels are not just filled with stories. They're filled with examples. This is how you're supposed to live. This is how you're supposed to walk. This is what God has made available to you. 
And you don't have to be a super saint to experience the power of God. All you have to do is just make prayer a priority. And this is what discipleship is about. It's not just about new habits. It's about new hearts. It's not just about having new standards. It's about having a renewed spirit. Discipleship is not about new practices. It's about new power. It's not just about you having a a different function. It's about you having a fresh fire of the spirit. And you can't get that by anything but prayer. And so when we prioritize the practice of prayer, we will see the power of God in our practical lives. I want to show it to you in the Bible. James 5, verse 13. The scripture says, Is anyone among you suffering? Is there anybody here suffering? Anybody going through anything difficult? Anybody? Okay, this is what you should do. Then he must, help me out church, pray. Not take a mental health day. Pray. Now you might need a mental health day, but, but on your mental health day, come on church, pray. Don't just watch Netflix. That's not going to help your mental health. You got to pray. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church. And what they're going to do is they're going to find the right doctor in town to deal with the problem. Problem? No, no, no. Call for the elders of the church. And what, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. What, what I'm trying to show you is that we've got practical problems being diagnosed. And what they need is prayer. And so prayer is, is what brings the supernatural power of God into our practical problems. Are you having a rough day? Are you suffering? Are you experiencing resistance and opposition and, and, and challenges in your life? What you must do is you must pray. Are you sick? you got a practical problem. you got a physical problem. What must you do? you got to call the elders of the church. And what they're supposed to do for you is they're supposed to pray. Verse 15 says, and the prayer offered in faith will restore. Does it say might restore? It will restore. This is why you want to be part of a praying church, a faith-filled church. Because the scripture says that if, if you're part of a, a praying church, a faith-filled church, and you bring your practical problem, your suffering, you bring your physical uh, uh, illnesses, your, 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 your need for healing. If they pray, then the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise them up. Listen, when the Bible doesn't say things like might, when it says will, you should get excited. Because that is God's guarantee. So it says that, that, that the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, one another. Why? So that you may be healed. I'm trying to show you, prayer brings supernatural power into practical problems. Prayer brings the power of God into practical situations. And so it says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Listen, when you take time every day before you leave your house and you pray, you are accomplishing much. You're not just doing a little spiritual routine before you go do the real work. No, prayer is the real work. And what you're accomplishing in the place of prayer is having real impact in your practical life. And so the purpose of prayer isn't to say that we pray. The purpose of prayer is that the power of God may permeate our practical lives. Now, I had the privilege of growing up with a praying mother. How many of you got a, got a praying mother? Listen, men, we got, we, got, we got to do something here because it's always praying mother, not praying father. We've got, we got, we got to flip the scripts. We've got to, we got to join the, the ladies here so we can grow up with praying mothers and praying fathers. Amen? Now, I grew up with a praying mother and, and, and a praying father, actually. And not only did she take all her five, and I say take, I say she took her five kids to prayer meetings. She dragged her five kids to prayer meetings. And not only did she do that, but, but she decided that she wanted to host prayer meetings in her home. And more often than I would have liked, these were all-night prayer meetings. 
How many of you have ever been to an all-night prayer meetings? Pastor Brent doesn't do all-night prayer meetings anymore, and there's a reason for that. But my mom wanted to host the all-night prayer meetings, so, so I'd be trying to sleep, and, and all through the night you could hear the voices of the prayer warriors interceding. Now, I would love to tell you that I'm so spiritual that I joined them, but I didn't. I was trying to find an earplug so I could go to sleep. But my mother was passionate about prayer because she had personally experienced the truth that prayer brings supernatural power into our practical lives. My mother uh, went through different things in her life that that made prayer the only thing she had to turn to. She became uh, a widowed mother of five in her mid-30s after uh, a genocidal civil war tore through our home uh, country of Rwanda when I was six years old. And in that war, my my father was murdered. And so my mother was left with the task of getting her five children out of Central Africa in the mid-90s. And if you know anything about Africa in the mid-90s, there were so many refugees trying to get out of Africa. There was a refugee crisis. And so the European countries and the North American countries couldn't handle all the refugees that were trying to leave Africa. And in those years, my siblings and I got to see the power of prayer in action. Through prayer, we, we survived a border crossing in Tanzania. This is one of our, of our favorite family stories. We had to cross through from Rwanda to get to Tanzania where there was safety. And so we had to pass through this, through this border crossing. And, and as we were uh, going on these, on these back roads, we got a flat tire. And so our car was, was barely making it. And we had to pass through this border crossing that was controlled by these rebels from a different tribe. And so uh, it, it was all but certain that as soon as we drove up in the car, they, they would take one look at us and they would tell that we we're from the wrong tribe. And so as we're approaching this border crossing, my mother is praying as hard as she can. And, and none of us kids knew much about what was going on, but she's praying, she's praying. And as we uh, approached the border crossing, on both sides of our car, there were people with machetes. And they were yelling and screaming, trying to see who's in the vehicle. And all of a sudden, as they're yelling and screaming, and my mother is praying, their, their angry faces turn into jubilant faces. And they start cheering for us. And our car passes through this crowd of angry people who would have loved nothing more than to drag us out of the car and chop us into pieces if they had known who we were. But they led us through with cheers. And what happened was somehow, this is what we think, somehow God did something to their eyes that made them think that we were from the right tribe. And so instead of killing us, they they waved us through the border crossing. That's the power of prayer. Through the power of prayer, we, we saw food make it to our table when we knew our mother could not afford to buy it. See, my mother was raised not to beg, but she was taught how to pray. She knew that prayer brings the power of God into practical lives. Through prayer, my mother got us into Christian private schools. We came to Canada. My mother decided, I don't want my kids, uh, you know, having an ungodly education. So she decided, I got to put my kids in, in Christian private schools. And so we just shouldn't have anywhere near the money to do that. And so she began to pray and pray, and somehow God made a way. She knew that prayer brings the power of God into practical lives. Through prayer, my mother faced death when eight years ago she was diagnosed with stomach cancer. And it was perhaps the greatest display of the supernatural power that a life of prayer brings because she ministered to people right up to uh, her graduation to heaven. And there would, there would be lines of people outside her hospital room to see her because they knew she was ill. And most of the time, they were the ones crying. She was the one doing the comforting. Because they wanted to, to lean on her a little bit more before she went to heaven. And there are two types of people in this room. There are people who are facing a practical situation that requires the supernatural power of God. And then there are people who are about to face 
a practical situation that requires the supernatural power of God. Which means if you're here today, you either need to be praying because you need the power of God today, or you need to be praying because you're about to need the power of God tomorrow. And the reason why I shared those stories with you about my mom is to, first of all, to encourage those of you who need God's power today. Perhaps you're facing a problem no earthly power can solve. Maybe you're carrying a burden that no human heart can bear. Maybe you're, you have so much debt and you're, you're about to despair. You're about to give up on ever walking in financial freedom. Maybe you've been given a, a, a diagnosis of a disease that no doctor can cure. And what you need to do is turn to prayer. Become a man of prayer. Become a woman of prayer. Humble yourself. Pour out your heart to God in prayer and see what God can do. Because no matter how bad it is, Isaiah 59 verse 1 says, Behold. Now when the verse, scripture says, Behold, you better behold. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened at all. It says that he, can't, that, that he cannot save, nor his ear dull with deafness that he cannot hear. And, and what happens is in life is that we don't want to get in a, into a battle, but battles teach better lessons than classrooms. What you're going to learn in a fight is, 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 going to be, is going to stick into your spirit much better than what you're going to learn in a classroom. And there's no better way to learn the discipline of prayer than to present your current challenges to God in prayer, asking for His power to be made known. Now the second reason why I share those stories is because I feel like that it's my job today to exhort all of you, to exhort the, the people of the City Church of Mississauga, to become a people of prayer in the present so that you can have the faith to receive what God wants to give you in the future. See, this church got to where it is today because some people were praying. And they kept praying. So we are where we are today. The ch this church got to where it is today on the wind of the faith-filled prayers of the past. But its future potential depends on faith-filled prayers in the present. See, some of us got to where we are today because... Somebody, because a mother, a grandmother, a pastor, a mentor was praying for us. But if we're going to go from where we are today to where God wants to take us in the future, we must learn to pray for ourselves. Now why is that? It's because power in prayer cannot be transferred. Power in prayer cannot be transferred. It must be acquired afresh by each believer and each generation. Can I say it one more time? Power in prayer cannot be transferred. It must be acquired afresh by each believer and each generation. And so I had a praying mother, but that didn't automatically make me a praying son. Eventually, I had to get into the prayer closet myself and learn how to tap into the power of God for me. Because there comes a time, there comes an age of accountability. When God says, listen, they fought for you long enough. It's time for you to learn how to swing your own sword. There comes a time when God says that they've defended you long enough. It's time for you to defeat your own demons. There comes a time when God says they've battled for you long enough. It's time for you to win your own wars. Listen, if you're, if you're at that place where somebody got you to where you are by praying for you, it's time for you to learn how to pray for yourself. In the, in the second letter to Timothy, Paul is writing to this young leader. And he's a young pastor full of promising potential. But at the moment, he's extremely overwhelmed because he's taken on leadership of the church at Ephesus. And this church was a, a, a church in an important Roman city, but he was facing opposition. And what we know from Acts 19 is that this church had a whole lot of, uh, this city, the city of Ephesus, had a whole lot of demonic activity going on. So when Paul planted his church, he experienced a lot of demonic opposition. And not only that, but the, the industry leaders in the city, they, they fought the preaching of the gospel because they were making a lot of money off of selling idols. 
So Paul comes to preach, plants his church, miracles happen, people start buying false idols, these guys start to lose money, and they start to fight against the preaching of the gospel. And what I think is perhaps that after Paul left, the same type of resistance was revived, and Timothy was facing some of the same challenges. And we don't have Timothy's letter preserved for us. But from what, we, from what Paul writes, it's clear that Timothy had expressed to Paul that he was afraid, he was in doubt, he was anxious, he was depressed. And now maybe he was even writing to Paul about resigning. And I wonder if some of you are feeling some of the same things today. I wonder if you've got some young adults in the room and the pressure to compromise your godly convictions is almost more than you can bear. I wonder if some of us in this room, we're doing our best to, to follow Christ, to obey his word, yet we're facing resistance that can only be described as demonic. If that's you today, I, I believe that this is going to help you. So Paul writes to Timothy, this next generation leader, whom he sees as his own son. And this is what he says. For 2 Timothy 1, verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did. As I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Listen, this is like your praying mother. It's like your praying grandmother. It's like your praying mentor. It's like the person who's praying for you. They are remembering you in their prayers night and day. Verse 4 says, I'm longing to see you even as I recall your tears. It's like, it's like a young man, a young woman who's away at college and, and, and things are hard for the first time. And so they're writing back to mom and dad and, and they're writing with tears. This is what Timothy is doing but on a much higher level because he's fighting demons. And Paul says, I remember your tears and, and I want to see you so that I may be filled with joy. So clearly Timothy's previous letter, well, he, he was saying that, listen, I, this is more than I can bear. Verse 5, he says, Paul says, listen, Timothy, I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am sure that it is in you as well. See, Paul encourages Timothy by reminding him that he's part of a family, part of a lineage of faith that goes back to his mother and his grandmother. Timothy is part of a family of faith. And that's the beauty of belonging to a, a faith-filled church. People are praying for you and you don't even know about it. There are certain things happening in your life because people at the city church are praying for you. Some of you got here today, you, you got delivered from addiction, you got delivered from sin because somebody was praying for you and you don't even know the name. And you're not going to meet them until you get to heaven because they might have been praying in 1989. That God would do something in his church and God used their faith to get you here today. Isn't it good to be part of a praying church? And that's the beauty of being part of a praying church. The, the momentum of our brothers and sisters in Christ, it, it pushes us when we don't have much of our own. But then Paul says this in verse 6. He says, for this reason, I remind you, Timothy, to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. I want you to listen to what Paul says and what Paul doesn't say. Paul doesn't say, hey, don't worry. You're going to make it. It's going to be okay because you're part of a praying church. Paul doesn't say, he, he doesn't say that, the, that the, the momentum of your praying parents will carry you through. And they're always going to be here for you, so don't worry. Paul doesn't say, listen, Grandma Lois and Mama Eunice's faith and prayers have got you covered so you're good. That's not what he says. 
He says, you may come from a praying family. You may be part of a faith-filled church, and that's wonderful. But there is a gift of God in you. And if you want to crush the spirit of timidity and walk in a spirit of power and love and discipleship, you're going to have to recognize that power in prayer cannot be transferred to you from your parents. Power in prayer cannot be inherited as part of your membership as a church. You don't come to church and then Pastor Brent lays hands on you and now you got all the power you need. No, listen. Power in prayer must be kindled afresh in each believer and in each generation. Paul tells Timothy, you've got a gift. You've got faith. And it's time for you to, to appreciate what your grandmother and your mother have done for you. But if you're going to kill this demon that's coming after you, you've got to get power in prayer yourself. And I can't help but sense that, that through this series that Pastor Brent's been doing, this discipleship series, God is calling the people of the city church, particularly the new members and the youth and the young adults. And this is what God is saying to you guys. He's saying the mothers and the fathers and the grandmothers and the grandfathers, the Pauls, the Loises, the Eunices, the Earl B's and the Esthers and the Brents and the Nicoles, they gave themselves to the discipline of prayer and that brought the city church to where it is today. But for the city church to get to where it needs to go in the future, the Timothys, the new believers, the 14 people who were baptized last Sunday, the youth, the young adults, they must have a spirit of prayer kindled afresh in them because the future belongs to them. Verse 8 says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. According to the power of God, Timothy was being, was being shamed to shut up about his faith. It, does that sound like today? Young people, young men, young women, you believers, listen, you're going to be intimidated by the devil to shut up about your faith. And the only way you're going to make it is to be a man of prayer, a woman of prayer, to have this gift of God kindled afresh in you. So when this intimidating spirit comes up, you've got a spirit of discipline, of power, and of love, and that you're called to suffer in, for the gospel, but not crying about it, not whining about it, doing it in the power of God. That's what happens when you become a man, a man or a woman of prayer. Now, my last point for you today, is, it, it, I think, is one of the greatest keys to a powerful prayer life. And it is that persistence in prayer. Persistence. Persistence in prayer is the price of God's power in our journey of discipleship. Persistence in prayer is the price of God's power in our journey of discipleship. My last scripture for you, Luke 11. This is right after... Uh, the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. He, he gives them the Lord's Prayer, and then he tells them this parable to help them apply it. Luke 11, verse 5, the scripture says, and Jesus says, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. Now, how many of you guys have ever gone to your friend at midnight, knocked on the door and said, Hey, lend me three loaves? We don't do that because we have Superstore. So we don't need to do that. But this is kind of like when you're the one person in your friendship circle that has a truck. And people need to move. And so you know who they're calling, right? Okay, it's kind of like that. He says, suppose one of you has a friend, goes to him at midnight, says to him, I need three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me from a journey. And I've got nothing to set before them. And from inside, the friend says, listen, you jerk. Don't bother me. It's midnight. The door has been shut, and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Jesus says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, 
Yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs to get him to shut the you-know-what up. It's got nothing to do with how much he likes them. It's only based on persistence. He's so irritating. He's so annoying. He's so frustrating that this guy will get whatever he needs just because he's shameless about asking. And this is what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, this guy's a jerk. Don't be like him. No, no. Jesus says, so I tell you. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. The word ask in our English translations, what it should really say is ask and keep on asking because that's the point of this. Be persistent. Some of you, some of you may be saying, listen, I, I've tried prayer. It didn't work for me. For me. Ask and keep on asking. Because you may be like, like the person in this story where you went and you knocked on the door and you said, hey, I know it's late. It was so Canadian. I know it's late. I would never bother you if there was any other way. But I went to the superstore and I went to Sobeys and the doors are all closed and, it's, and, it, and, 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 I, and I would never ask you. And the door wasn't open to you because you weren't persistent. So you quit. Jesus says, listen, stop asking nicely. And start asking persistently. You're never going to get anywhere in your prayer life if you approach it politely. You've got to come persistently, church. So Jesus says, ask and keep on asking. I'll be given to you. Why did you not get what you prayed for? Because you asked once, you didn't get it, and you walked away. Jesus says, ask again. And keep on asking until you get everything that you need. He says, seek and keep on seeking and you'll find. Knock and keep on knocking and it will be open to you. For everyone, somebody say everyone. You can't tell me that you prayed this way and didn't get what you want. Because everyone who asks receives. Now you might say that didn't work for me. Listen, somebody's lying. Either you or Jesus. I pick you. He says, for everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. These are spiritual laws, my friends. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Verse 11 says, now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he's asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? How much more will your heavenly Father give you a fresh spirit of prayer in your life if you really ask, if you ask and keep on asking, if you seek and keep on seeking, if you knock and keep on knocking? Would you all stand up with me today? I, I, want, I want us to practice what we're talking about today. I want us to pray even right now that God would just pour out a fresh spirit of prayer upon the city church. Father, in the name of Jesus, we glorify your name. We lift you up. Jesus, we take your word seriously. You, you, you said ask and keep on asking. You said come shamelessly. Come persistently. So that's how we're coming today, Lord. Some of us in this room, we have needs. And they are immediate needs. But you've just been waiting for us to apply your word obediently. And stop asking politely and start asking persistently. So Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that even right now a spirit of prayer would fall upon the city church this morning. 
that over our homes, over our lives, y'all can pray with me right. Just, just start asking God for a spirit of prayer to come upon your life. You, you've heard the Word and now you need the grace of the Holy Spirit to, to, to come upon you so you can apply this today, so you can apply it tomorrow. Some of you need to go home, moms and dads. you got to start holding hands first thing in the morning and praying together. Come on and start assaulting the throne room of God persistently and shamelessly on behalf of your family. Some of you are aware of hereditary diseases and you've just accepted it. It's going to happen in your family. But what you need to do is you need to go and persistently and shamelessly assault the throne of God until you get the healing and the health and the wholeness that Jesus died for you to have. Some of you have been dealing with the same problems and you never prayed about it, you just accepted it. It's time for you to come persistently to the throne room of God. And some of you today, you need to stop leaning on other people to pray for you every day, every week, every time you've got a problem. Mom, pray for me. Pastor, pray for me. Listen, it's time for you to get a spirit of prayer in your own life. Ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, make me a man of prayer. Make me a woman of prayer. Lord, I take the responsibility for my own life and I ask for a spirit of prayer to come upon me. Thank you, Lord. Now, some of you today, you, you got to give up this bitterness. You got, you got bitterness in your life because you think that you pray and God didn't come through for you. You got to give that up today. To humble yourself before the Lord and just admit what you know is true that God never fails. Maybe you missed something. Maybe you misunderstood something and, and, and so now you're in a place of bitterness. Just say, Lord, I give up. I give in. I must have missed something and, and I can't just do this without you anyway. So would you help me? Forgive me of my bitterness. Free me of it. Make me a man of prayer. Give me a spirit of prayer. Thank you, Lord. Listen, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you've never put your faith in Jesus. You may have been around church, heard about church. Maybe you're even like a young person here today and you come to church because your parents make you come or, or, or whatever the case may be. Listen, you need your own relationship with Jesus. You need your own story with God. You need to come to God and that has to be a point in your life where you say these words, I am a sinner. And I cannot save myself. And you need to come to Jesus and ask for His salvation. And I want to give you that opportunity today. I'm just going to ask that all across the room, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes with me just for a minute? I just want to pray with anybody that's here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. You've never said, Jesus, I am a sinner in need of salvation. Maybe you've just kind of been a religious person and, and done church stuff, but, but you've never asked for forgiveness for yourself. And I want to help you with that today. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you don't have your own relationship with Jesus, and you like to start one today, if you're at the place where you're ready to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin, I want to follow you. If you're here today, and you need to pray that prayer with me, with every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just raise your hand and give me a wave? I'd love to know who I'm praying with today I would also love to pray with those of you that are here today 
And even as I've been speaking, you may be a Christian, but, but you don't have a, a, a real connected relationship with Jesus. You've just kind of been relying on church to be that connection for you, but you don't know him personally. You, you've drifted from him, though you are a believer, and you'd like to kind of maybe restart, rekindle, you know, acquire afresh your relationship with Jesus. I want to help you with that. If that describes you, just raise your hand and give me a wave. I'll have to pray with you as well. Anybody in the room? And church, I'm just going to ask that we all pray this prayer together. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. And, and, and if, you, if either of those uh, situations describes you, pray this prayer with all the faith in your heart. And the Lord is going to do a miraculous work in you today. Church, just repeat after me. Say, Jesus, thank you for coming to earth, dying for my sin. I acknowledge I am a sinner. I've made mistakes. I've hurt people. I've done things that I'm ashamed of. But today, I ask you, come into my heart, forgive me, heal me, cleanse me. And I declare from today and forever, I believe in Jesus. Amen. Can we give a round of applause to all those that prayed that prayer today? Thank you, Lord. We praise your name. Hey, if that is you this morning, that you said yes to Jesus for the very first time, or you rededicated your life to Christ, um, that same Connect card that we mentioned earlier in the service, if you would just grab that Connect card, fill it out, and check off the appropriate box. If you turn it into one of our team members at the info desk, we actually have some materials that will help you on your journey of faith. We all need a moment where we say yes to Jesus, but Jesus has called us to be disciples. So the, the materials that we want to put into your hand will help you on your discipleship journey. But we are so glad that you made that decision today. Thank you so much, Pastor Ben, for encouraging us this morning. Wasn't that a great message today? Thank God for the privilege of prayer. Amen. Amen. Well, just like Pastor Ben said, you know, if you came to church this morning hoping to have somebody to pray with you or for you, some of our church leaders are going to be up here at the front of the stage and you guys can start moving now. Um, this is a faith-filled group of individuals and they will be happy to agree with you in prayer about any situation that you are facing in life. So they will be up here immediately after service is dismissed to agree with you in prayer. Well, thank you so much for coming to church this morning. Remember, uh, parents, starting next Sunday, no pre-registration. But what are you going to do? You're going to get up nice and early, and we'll see you at church either for the 9 or 11 a.m. service. Have a great afternoon. You are dismissed. <laughs>